Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today we're talking the lithium-ion battery, the platform technology of the electron future. Will this give rise to opportunities for traders? Will lithium-ion batteries become a commodity and the key commodity of the future trading house? allowing organizations to participate both in the transportation revolution, but also the energy revolution through energy storage. Today, we're going to be talking about what are lithium-ion batteries, what's the current production, the market, the supply chain, and also what are the trading opportunities of the future. Joining us to discuss is Simon Moores. Simon joined us previously on an episode focused on lithium. Simon is the CEO and founder of Benchmark Minerals, the independent pricing agency for batteries and all of their components. Simon, thanks for joining us. Paul, it's great to be back. So we're focusing in on batteries. Before we start talking about the the market structure itself around batteries and whether they could be commoditized and start trading as commodities, can we do a bit of a a lithium-ion 101? Can you just give us the very basics and start to help us understand some of the terminology uh, and units of measurement that are out there? Yeah, so lithium-ion batteries are... They're batteries as we know it, maybe the batteries that would go into the remote control or the ones that power your iPhone and laptop. But battery plants that are being built at the moment are being built for one thing, and that's electric vehicles. Fundamentally, they're the same kind of battery, a, a secondary rechargeable lithium-ion battery. But they are there's many flavors to a lithium-ion battery, and it really counts on what's in it as well. So an NCA or an NCM cathode are the two mainstream types and flavors of lithium-ion battery that you have. And then when these plants are built in these mega factories or gigafactories, effectively they're super-sized battery plants from their predecessor, uh, they're measured in gigawatts hour. So really when you hear, you know, like in mining and minerals, you'll have tons of material, kilograms of material. The equivalent in battery is kilowatt hours, megawatt hours, and gigawatt hours. Can you, just before we sort of dig into some of the chemistry, and obviously these things vary by chemistry, by performance and cost, and I think we're, we're teeing up a level of, there is a level of standardization there that means it, they could become commodities. Can you just help us very briefly understand the difference between a cell, a battery, and a battery pack? A battery cell is an individual unit that you're used to seeing going in the back of your remote control or the cells that you might see going into, into a vehicle, but... Battery cells are individual units. Battery packs are a number of cells that have been arranged into that pack. And then battery packs, a number of them, it could be anywhere from four, six upwards. A number of battery packs then go into the vehicle to make the EV battery. So at at present, there's like three steps. The battery cell, the individual unit, the battery pack, that's a number of cells lined up in in a physical unit. And then the pack goes into the vehicle. Now, the key is what the industry is trying to do is actually skip out that middle step, middle step and go from battery cell straight into the vehicle. And that's uh, one of the paths going forward. So what is the kind of when, when you're buying batteries, are you typically buying in packs or are you buying cells? Kind of what's the, the unit, the standard unit, so to speak, when, when organizations are filling their supply chains? It would be battery cells. If you are a buyer of lithium-ion batteries, such as an automotive OEM, you might be requesting individual number of cells because you know exactly that my vehicle takes 500 of these cells. So I'm going to need 500 per vehicle and, and do the maths on that. But actually, going forward, because it's 
the designs of vehicles are changing and contracts uh, between EV makers and battery makers are very forward looking from now to the next five years, such as the competition in the space. They actually do deals on gigawatt hours, which is energy storage denomination. So you can improve the energy storage in a lithium-ion battery and the physical thing, the physical cell remains the same size. And that comes down to the raw materials, the chemicals, the anodes, cathodes that you put in there. So really now deals are being done on a gigawatt hour basis um, because it guarantees that energy storage that these EV companies need to power their vehicles. Mm. It's somewhat sort of um, future proof, right? Or it's, uh, you know, you're accounting for future research and, and developments. Can we dig into that? Because I think crucial to this story is you've got research into the chemistry, which affects performance, also affects costs and safety. And actually, there is a we have a tiered system at the moment in terms of the quality of the batteries. Can you describe that system to us? Yeah, so you can't use all lithium-ion batteries in all electric vehicles. There are tiers of quality. At Benchmark, we assess these tiers of quality every quarter. And what happens is we have something called the three Qs. Tier one makers have to hit these three Qs, quality, quantity, and qualification. And tier two and tier three might have some of those, but not all of those. What I mean by that is quality, it has to be the right amount of quality, the right standard of battery to be used in a Western electric vehicle, which are the highest standards, of course, in the world because of the the safety risks. The quantity, they have to, in our assessment, be over five gigawatt hours a year of annual capacity to ensure that the, the quantity of batteries can be there for the major automotive companies. And the third thing is qualification. It's quite similar to the first one, but they have to be qualified by at least one major OEM, one major automotive company. And those three things go hand in hand. And those three things make you a tier one lithium ion battery maker, of which there are only six at the moment. The top one by far by the end of this year will be CATL, Chinese battery maker, which at present really makes all of its sales within China. It'd be interesting to see what happens when it starts to expand. But that's number one with 113 gigawatt hours of capacity by the end of this year. LG Chem Korean, number two, 92 gigawatt hours. BYD, which makes batteries really for itself within China for its own electric vehicles, but they're one of the first fully you know, integrated battery to automotive companies. They're number three. And number four, Samsung SDI. Uh, number five, Tesla, but that's Tesla and Panasonic because the Gigafactory is so big. And number six, and it's Panasonic on its own, which apart from Panasonic, it's interesting, apart from the, the, the big Tesla Gigafactory it's got, it's yet to announce any huge significant Gigafactory uh, outside of, of Tesla. But we think it's it's about to do something in, in maybe in Europe or even in North America. So that's your big guys at present. And going forward 10 years, really, it doesn't change that much. The the we see Tesla going up to becoming number two. CATL remains number one. But really, the, the most aggressive battery makers expanding, I mean, Tesla is the most aggressive. CATL is probably the second most aggressive and LG Chem third. So they're the three to really watch announcing new, new mega factories, new gigafactories and new expansions. Yeah. Just to understand that, is Benchmark the independent standard setter and are those standards recognized globally? Or you know, are there still sort of vagaries out there in terms of what different organizations class different batteries? Yeah. So Benchmark, we were the first to create this tiering system because there was a need to actually rank really and filter all these battery companies that are 
A, existing and expanding, or B, emerging as brand new producers. There are so many now. We have 200 of these gigafactories that are either active or, or in the pipeline over the next 10 years. And only five years ago, there was, or six years ago, there was three of them. And so you can see a proper surge in both number of producers and both capacity of plants and also where the battery plants are located. There was an, a need, a desperate need for a ranking system for a fil filter process. Uh, we created that at Benchmark and our subscribers are the supply chain, the industry and investors that are also putting money into this. Um, and, and we felt three years ago this was needed and it's been a great response so far. But, you know, it's, a, it's also early days for the battery industry. Mm. In fact, end of last year really was the beginning of this new phase of growth, almost the lithium-ion battery entering its teenage years in many ways. Yeah. So let's move on to production because I think this is the story starts to get really interesting, right? So I was fascinated by this stat that the US is building four gigafactories a year right now and China's producing one a week, right? Which, I, you know, I think also when we'll talk about it, it stems back to, you know, ch the Chinese government has been subsidizing and investing heavily in EVs and battery production for a decade. You've had this exponential rise in the number of gigafactories. They're already worth, is it Northvolt is yet to produce a, a battery, but has, you know, had some phenomenal valuations put around in the private placement market, 10 billion, etc. First of all, what is a gigafactory? And can you give us some sense of how these batteries are produced? And then we can get dig into kind of where and, and some of the trends. Yeah, a gigafactory or a battery mega factory, same thing, is a physical building, a, a factory or a plant that can produce, in our books, over one gigawatt hour worth of uh, battery cells every year. They often get confused with battery pack facilities, but it's where the battery cells are made that is the crucial supply of batteries for this electric vehicle and energy storage revolution. Just help orientate us, how many electric vehicles can a giga factory supply in one year? It's a good question. So the original Gigafactory, which is a Tesla brand name, really, the Tesla Gigafactory in Nevada was the original one, and that started up in 2016. And that has the capacity at 37 gigawatt hours to, um, to make about 450,000 electric vehicles. But it's still the biggest battery plant in the world today. The reality is of that 200 battery plants that I discussed earlier, the average capacity of these are about 15, one five gigawatt hours, so about half, just over half, so maybe 200,000 vehicles worth. But that can give you some numbers to orientate the listeners. And the crucial bit of information here is if, even if you control for, there's all the lithium supply in the world or the refined lithium carbonate or whatever it might be, and all the other parts that go into it, the graphite and so forth, it still takes... I'm looking at your notes here, somewhere between two to four, but typically more like four years to get a factory up and running. That's the case. Yes. So coming from the commodities world, and as your listeners do, they would be quite familiar actually with lead times of building mines and plants to get the raw materials out of the ground and into the supply chain. And even though it's quite quick to build a battery plant, a gigafactory on average, two and a half years, uh, to construct from you know from breaking ground to actually declaring it open but the other key thing is it's another it's ex it's another three and a half four years on top of that to actually work out the bugs make sure the plant works properly and get the good level of operational uh, run rate capacity 
of about 80 to 85% to ensure those batteries are, are there coming out of the building and going into your electric vehicle. So it's the best part of five years from breaking ground of these new plants to actually getting you know the good amount of quantity of batteries into the industry, into the automotive industry. And I think people fail to understand these lead times. Mm. And before we dig into the market, which I think is fascinating, can you just give us an overlay of of where production is going on? I think 60% is based in China, right? And then you've got Europe, and then the US is, is kind of way behind at this point. Yeah, so China has been leading this global battery arms race since day one, really, even though Tesla, in many ways, started it with the, with the Gigafactory announced in 2014, up and running end of 2016 or 2017. China was really leading the volume, the number of battery plants and the capacity build out and the, you know, the, the billions of investment needed to build one of these things. And right now, China, by the end of this year, will have 75% of lithium-ion battery capacity globally. And the US is well below 10% of that number. And Europe has been more active in, in building battery plants. And it's not necessarily catching up, but it's building batteries for the needs of the continent. This, this battery arms race is becoming continental. That's something that's an important trend to, to kind of understand. But China continues, continues to invest the dollars needed to ensure that the battery capacity, at least the battery capacity, will be there for its electric vehicles. You know, without lithium-ion batteries, you don't have electric vehicles. It's as simple as that. And China was very proactive five years ago to start building capacity. So I think that you know, it's a, quite a fascinating and stark fact there that it was only 15 years ago the US OEMs and some of the Europeans were going to dominate the Chinese market with the combustion engine. And that was the, the huge opportunity for growth. And now, suddenly, we're facing a situation where because China has been investing, and we're going to come on to the politics, but has invested heavily in this sector, it almost in the situation where the Chinese will dominate Western car production or consumption because the, the lithium-ion battery packs or the cells are the crucial component of an EV and the rate-limiting factor. Yeah, exactly. Correct. And the trend is completely correct on the trend as well. I remember, what, 10, 11, 12 years ago, where all the Western car companies were scrambling really to set up manufacturing plants, car manufacturing plants in China, because such was the, the cost advantage that China had, but it didn't have that brand leverage that, you know, people want to go out and buy a VW or a, a BMW or so on. So, you know, so car companies were establishing plants in China. That was only 10 years ago, give or take. But what China also realized is with electric vehicles, first to satisfy its own market, let alone export markets, it saw an opportunity to, to leapfrog, you know, this this exist, this old technology. And the Chinese companies knew they were never going to be dominant in the global automotive market outside of China to a significant extent, but pushed forward with electric vehicles. And now what's going to happen? Well, China aren't going to be exporting lithium-ion batteries. You can't ship lithium-ion batteries long distances because they're registered as hazardous goods. You might remember trying to take a mobile phone or the Galaxy, Samsung Galaxy, on planes only three years ago. They were being banned. And every time you take your wheelie, wheelie case onto an airplane, they ask, is there a battery in there? Because of the risk with batteries, issues with them being uh, damaged on transit. And of course, they have charge in it when they travel, 15% minimum charge. So the point here is you can't ship batteries long distances. So China won't be exporting batteries. But guess what? It will be exporting cars. 
electric cars. And that's very interesting um, turn of events because they're also well ahead, well ahead of everyone, pretty much aside from Tesla. I really want to come on to that, that around the shipping piece because that plays into this discussion about whether batteries will start being traded like commodities. And I know we, there are already some early efforts underway, but let's go back to the market. Okay, so we've got a great setup there so far. The market to date, as I understand it, most battery factories, mega factories, have been tied to joint ventures, alliances with OEMs, and all of that forecast supply is going to go to one to Volkswagen or whatever it might be. And that's typically how these things are being built, right? They've already contracted for the foreseeable future to an OEM. Yeah, I would say a lot of the new ones are, certainly outside of China, within Europe, and especially in in, in the US. The US, perfect example, Tesla's gigafactory is actually Tesla and Panasonic. Panasonic make the batteries on one side and and they, they go through a big conveyor belt into where the, where the battery packs and, and chassis of the car are being made. Um, and that model has been replicated in other battery plants. LG Chem's plant they're building in Ohio is with General Motors. Rewind back to 2011-12 when AESC Envision set up a plant in Tennessee for Nissan. And so there is a lot of JV plants in the past and in the future that's really adding to a lot of capacity outside of China. Uh, it also allows them to share the risk. Certainly, if you're LG Chem, do you want to risk four, five, six billion dollars on building a new plant and you're not sure if the customer is going to be there? Well, you can share that risk with General Motors and General Motors are guaranteed then their batteries for the vehicles they need to produce going forward. So that's been the model. But it'll be interesting, really interesting to see how these relationships evolve because JVs don't work, not long term, not really, really well. The majority fail in these things. And of course, the battery is the IP. The battery and the software, the IP of the electric vehicle, they make this thing run. They make this thing run over a long time and, and they affect the performance of the car. So do you think the car companies are going to want to have give that IP or let that IP sit with battery makers? It'll be very interesting to see the way these two links in the supply chain evolve over time. Yeah. As I understand at the moment, it's sort of a $50 billion industry, but projected to go to $200 billion by 2030. Are people starting to make mega factories without having that long-term supply contracts in place? No. When a battery plant, certainly the newer ones as well, the last two years, if a battery plant's being built, it will be built with long-term contracts, rock-solid supply deals in place, or as a joint venture, predominantly. There are some examples, like CATL are building one in Germany, and that's CATL's, their first step outside of China, with the assumption well, I don't know any specific contracts in place for that specific deal, but their assumption that, well, at least 10 gigawatt hours of batteries are going to be absorbed by that market regardless in the next in you know, three years' time when it comes up and running. So really, it's long-term contracts or it's JV projects where money is committed from both sides. And there's also an undercurrent, a little bit of subsidy as well here, probably about 15% of this money, I would say, is subsidized by governments wanting to have the next Tesla Gigafactory or wanting a big battery plant from CATL in their local area. So mm. there's a subsidy money that's helping this as well. So if I'm, a, if I'm a, a trader and I want to go and buy some battery cells speculatively, is that possible or is all the supply ultimately contracted? All the supply at the moment or the vast majority is contracted. And you have to think that it's actually a future industry at the moment because battery plants are being built from scratch as we speak. 
So this year, the battery capacity in the world will just under double. We'll go from about 420 gigawatt hours last year to about 780 gigawatt hours this year because all these plants are being built. Some are being expanded, but the vast majority are new. And what that means is that contracts are being put in place for plants that are not built yet, that might be there in two years, that might be there in three years. So over the next three to four years, this next phase of EV growth, you're actually locking up supply from facilities that don't yet exist. What that means is when this time comes, when the, the batteries are being made and the electric vehicles are using these batteries, there's going to be probably quite a lot of surplus because of the volatility in the market, not because the demand isn't there, but sitting on paper, sitting in paper contracts. And I think what you'll see, and what you kind of have seen in two years a little bit, but what you'll see certainly in the future is you'll have one big OEM with one massive contract for 100 gigawatt hours. And then it would outsource or sell off some of that contract. Do you know what we're not going to be using? We're not going to use 10 gigawatt hours this year or next year. Let's subcontract or sell that to a, a smaller battery or EV maker, should I say, who doesn't have the pricing power to do the big contracts and actually become that becomes a little business on the side as well. Mm. So it's quite interesting to see the way these deals and contracts evolve and they're all sitting on paper. Yeah, I think this is starting to take us towards how this could be actually quite an opportunity for commodity traders. There are all the pieces in place. It, it's probably going to be a couple of years down the line. But yesterday, I just so happened to, uh, I'm selling my car. We're going to a one-car household, and uh, I'm going to be buying a, uh, I have bought a an electric bike. And of the, the company's range, I think they have like eight different bikes. Six of them were sold out, out of stock because they, I guess it's access to the batteries is the problem. So it's already, I think, that very challenging supply chain for anyone trying to get into this space. Yeah, perfect example, right? And Elon Musk as well said in January that they can't make the Tesla Semi this year. Um, it's pushed into next year, I think, because they haven't got the batteries. They can't make the new Roadster because they haven't got the batteries. That tier one quality lithium-ion batteries. So it might be easy to say, well, there's loads of capacity being built out, but you know, the of that 708 gigawatt hours I talked about, there's only about 35% of that is tier one quality. So it's not 780, it's 30% of that. Paul, you're better at maths than me, so you can, you can work that one out. But that's kind of the situation that, that, that you know, Western producers of, whether it's e-bikes or electric vehicles or electric buses, that's kind of the issue they're facing at present. Yeah. So one final thing on while we're talking about kind of the market and production at the moment, this has very quickly been recognized as actually a national security issue, uh, or at least of national interest. We've seen the, the Biden administration you know, come out with a series of programs and goals around climate change, but also step in on, I think, a um, was it the, the SKLG Chem issue um, that was holding up a factory? Are we, are we going to see um, the US government, are we going to see the European Union, the UK start to aggressively subsidize or support this industry like the Chinese have? I think we are, yes, because I don't think the pace of change is quick enough, really. I think governments, and it's certainly down to the work we've done at Benchmark with the work we've done with the US Senate and other departments, with what we're telling the UK government at the moment, what we've been saying to the Canadian government is lead times, the pace of, of building these battery plants out is nowhere near quick enough. You're not going to have the supply of batteries, let alone the supply chain. That's a different podcast than one we did earlier. It's not going to be in place unless uh, you put money into this to speed it up. You know, you're building a supply chain. Sorry, you're building an industry, a heavy industry from scratch. When yeah. was the last time any Western country did that? China's done it. 
in our lifetimes, but Western uh, economies. This is back in the this is the, the 30s, 40s, 50s. This is the New Deal type era, mm. Roosevelt type stuff. So that that's the challenge. And what happened in America? Really interesting. It's kind of opened up or unblocked the the doubts in America. Was certainly the the settlement for LG Chem and SK, the two Korean heavyweight battery makers, were actually having you know battery beef or a battery battle on on U.S. soil because uh, LG Chem accused SK Innovation of of stealing a number of um, trade secrets and lots of different departments. That was settled for one point eight billion dollars, but the White House had to step in. And for full transparency, we were Benchmark was involved with that. We wrote independent market reports on the state of the battery supply chain. So it was our pleasure to be able to get our data into those decision-making um, pyramids, if you like, within the US. And as a result, the White House also, back in February, put uh, the lithium-ion batteries and semiconductor chips on the radar of supply chain for their supply chain executive order. So very much batteries are at the top of the geopolitical agenda, both mm-hmm. in the White House and the EU and China. Mm. And that's quite amazing, really. Amazing turn of events for the last two years. And that's and we're not even really at the moment, we're just talking the demand from EVs. Separate to that, and in other podcasts we've covered it, the future grid of Europe and even the US is going to be heavily reliant on batteries, these virtual power plants, you know, to disintermediate or to tackle intermittency with renewables, and even down to the household, right, with the battery packs in the household. Like, the demand is just incredible. And as you say, quite rightly, this is actually an entire industrial revolution that everyone is chasing. And these are, this is, a, you know, we're talking five, 10 year life cycles and just getting the supply chains in place. So let's talk about our clients, the commodity traders, or for the most part, you know, we're in the commodity trading world. To be a commodity, it's, you know, it, these things are obviously, um, there's a standardization, there's fungibility. You've obviously talked about that tiered system. Is that being increasingly recognized? Is that how you think the sort of the, will we have just national standards about what constitutes the various qualities around a, a lithium ion cell? Yeah, I think we will. I think, you know, the, the system we put in place is an independent information data provider for the, for the, the battery and EV supply chain is being increasingly recognized. You know, companies, they want, they want to move up from tier two to tier one to ensure that they are in the workflow, in the decision-making for the biggest OEMs who are actually now only making calls. They've talked about it. Uh, You see car companies talk about EVs, but they haven't done the research on batteries at a granular level. And that's quite amazing that these uh, statements are being made. You could argue for political reasons, maybe, uh, from the majority of car companies, but they haven't looked at a granular level for batteries and the tiers of quality. And then there's the raw materials that feed them, which is a different equation. But the key is going forward that, this is going to be um, battery supply is going to be an increasing issue, um, increasing challenge. And, and when you have these supply and demand challenges for battery cells, then you have an opportunity for traders to step in. It's, it's not necessarily now, but certainly two, three, four years where all of a sudden there's a surplus of tier one battery cells, maybe, or, the, you know, this this. This car company has five surplus gigawatt hours of Samsung SDI or, or LG Chem batteries, which buyers know it's a certain quality, it's a certain format shape, and it's a certain chemistry. Well, it's tick, tick, tick. What's the price? Okay, done. So very much it could be traded going forward, but that system is not yet in place. 
there's lot, as you say, there's lots of the ingredients there. I mean, you can almost envisage tolling contracts, right? Where you know the trader is providing all of the raw, you know, the the cobalt, the manganese, the lithium, and so forth, and take the offtake is the battery. And then there's you know they're also buying and then selling on the batteries themselves because you have, like you said, there's there's an agreed standard. There's an easy way to determine price around the storage of the battery. The one bit that seems to be glaringly missing, though, is if you can't ship a battery. Well, you can. I mean, batteries have been shipped for many years. Otherwise, we wouldn't have our, our laptops and, and mobile phones and so on and so forth. And it's just the practicalities of moving batteries at huge scale. Now, you could argue we've got a lot of individual devices that we're so used to. Well, that's scale, isn't it? Well, not really. If you think of a battery in an iPhone, it's pretty much the size of the iPhone. If you think of a battery in a car, it's pretty much the chassis of the car in most models. And that's an order of magnitude bigger. It's, it's, you know, it's the size of a phone versus the size of a car. And as a result, you've got a practical problem but of shipping these, you know, physically shipping the, the number, the weight, the volume, plus it's with charge. Therefore, it's hazardous. And this is why battery plants are being built on a continental scale. Really, batteries are being built where the cars are being built. You can ship the raw materials much easier, much easier without without regulatory hurdles or hassles through different uh, borders and the different means and ways of shipping. Uh, so that's what's happening. Really, the raw materials um, and the input chemicals can go to where the battery plants are, but the batteries will be made where the cars are being made. Is there, out of interest, anyone trying to technologically tackle that, uh, you know, working on bulk shipping safely? Well, batteries are new. So, and really where electric vehicles are being made, those batteries are already being made on that continent. Of course, China is the leader here. Tesla get their um, most of their batteries from the Gigafactory in Nevada. But of course, an interesting one is Tesla originally had to ship it from uh, Panasonic's Sumino plant in Japan. So there was physical shipping there of, you know, Tesla's first, well, the Model S batteries, the Rhodes, the original Rhodes, the batteries, but anything after the Model S really is now being made in the USA. Um, and that's why there's this race to build continental capacity globally. But that's why it's also so shocking that the USA is, has been so far behind in announcing new capacity in plants when Europe has really cottoned onto this and China's surging ahead. Yeah, so it is feasible and and presumably the demand became there's a price for all things right and if if you know demand gets that high and there's an opportunity to ship from excess capacity in china it can be done it's just expensive challenging and you know and, and obviously there's concerns but you know oil's a hazardous substance as well right so there are there are potentially fixes for it if the prices get to or the market gets to such a stage that it demands it Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking of it from a, you know, fundamental supply chain being built from scratch perspective. Ideally, where, where should these plants be? But of course, you know, I'm probably talking about 60, 70 percent of the market, you know, a future market being continental. But there's 20, 30 percent of that. That is going to be batteries moving around uh, the world on different you know, shipping routes. And, and I do think that, that that is an opportunity. And I think there's also that paper opportunity with with you know, future contracts, excess five gigawatt hours here or there um, would need to be sold on to somebody that can use the batteries. And I think batteries first, even more than the raw materials like lithium, uh, do have a tradable opportunity because when traders come into a market, they come into a market to fix inefficiencies, take advantage of excess supply or one company signing, you know, to too much capacity going forward. I actually think batteries 
is going to have this problem first, way before, years before the raw materials have the problem. And I think that problem is going to start rearing its head two years from now. So mm. there is a big opportunity. And that's the crux of this podcast, right? Because at the moment, I would argue that much of the kind of the noise that we're hearing, not noise, but the the interest that we're hearing is about the raw materials. You know, is there an opportunity, obviously cobalt's traded, but is there an opportunity to start trading lithium, some of these rare earths and so forth? But actually, you know, the what you just said there is fascinating. It's probably going to be the battery itself that's going to become the tradable opportunity first, because that's going to ultimately be the fundamental rate limiting factor in that whole supply chain. And is that a fair statement? I think it is a fair statement. And you know, tradable from my perspective of on paper, helping those those contracts being rewritten and then finding a buyer for for excess supply, excess future supply written into a contract, uh, because Japanese, Korean, or Chinese, um, or maybe even European battery makers, well, they they can you know, ship that material themselves. In fact, they're not batteries are not sitting around stockpiled; they're actually made to order. Pretty much, you don't but, but lithium-ion batteries are perishable goods, so you're not having that massive stockpiles of batteries for very long. But they're made to order, and so I think it won't be a necessarily initially a physical thing of shipping batteries that are sitting around to a new buyer, but actually a paper thing. So I do think that any traders that emerge will be very close with the OEMs and very close with the um, the battery makers, and kind of sit in between them to make make that make that link and that relationship a little bit more efficient. It sounds like a lot of the ingredients are there, albeit a little bit a ways off. Are you seeing any interest out there now? Are people talking about? an open market for batteries, trading batteries, securing excess supply. What's the noise out there right now about battery trading batteries? The thing about trading batteries, the noise, uh, the noise, the, the the things we're hearing are not, that problem hasn't occurred yet. So actually it's kind of me and Benchmark thinking about a challenge that might happen in the future. But I mean, we have had two years ago, we had a couple of um, two years ago when there was a, the first surge, if you like, of interest. We had a couple of buyers of batteries saying, "I've got this contract. Can you um, can you find you know uh, somebody who need th- these batteries? It's it's this chemistry, it's this format, and it's this amount of gigawatt hours. Do you know anybody?" Of course, we're an independent publishing company, so we couldn't help. But that problem, there was a few little examples back in 2016-17, and we're now about to go through the equivalent period, just on a much bigger scale. And that's why I think, you know, in 2023, 2024, 2025, when the batteries are there, maybe the, the OEMs have misforecast their needs by even 5%. The volume is so big, there's a big money opportunity, opportunity there for even that kind of margin for error. Yeah, yeah. It makes me, I mean, there aren't, certainly aren't battery traders right now. It makes me... Uh, from a human capital standpoint, we need to start training some because uh, it could be quite a lucrative space. Before I let you go, I, I really appreciate the discussion. You just mentioned one thing there that kind of struck me. You describe batteries as a perishable goods. Why is that? Because they are, well, they're a jelly roll of chemicals, minerals, and metals. Then you put charge into it. And, and, and if you're not, these batteries aren't being charged and discharged on a relatively regular basis. I don't mean like every day, but every other day, you know, a few times a week, then issues at a, you know, electro, electrochemical level issues with defects forming in the cathodes and anodes start to occur. And so 
if you have these batteries sitting around with say 15% charge in stockpiles, but there's no movement of these ions, this discharge, recharge, discharge, recharge, then defects start forming. And then once you have defects in the battery, if you hit them with charge in one go, they're going to break. So yeah. that's the issue. So there's also actually going to be significant storage costs associated with, in the future, traders are warehousing these things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you do want to store batteries, why not store them in energy storage systems and get some solar panels and store sunlight at, at your factory? Because uh, then they're being used in that sense. But of course, that's me being a little bit flippant, but the principle's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gives you the opportunity to trade power as well. And, you know, yes. Well, it's been a fascinating discussion. Once again, really enjoyed it. I think it was an excellent sort of part two to the to the lithium episode we did together. And um, it's certainly a space that I know all of our clients and connections are looking at and, um, you know, appreciate yours and, and Benchmark Minerals support. Any final thoughts for us before we, we let you go? I guess my final thought would be for your listeners that when you see or hear about a lithium ion battery, see it as a platform technology. So if you have high quality huge capacity of lithium-ion batteries in your country or on your continent, then you will have dominance in your electric vehicle industry. And the same batteries are also used in energy storage systems. So you will have a big chunk of the future of the energy industry uh, and utilities as well. So that's very much a platform technology that breeds trillions of downstream future industries. Fascinating. Well, Simon, really appreciate your time and look forward to having another conversation in the future. Thank you for having us, Gempel. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and Human Capital, a search firm dedicated to the commodities sector, go to www.hcinsider.global, where you'll find more original content on the commodities sector and more details on our offerings as a search firm and our locations around the world. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.